Let's pray. Father, today we do praise your name. We praise you because of what you have done by sending your son. What a tremendous thing that that is to offer us hope, forgiveness, salvation. Father, we love you and we want to worship you. Father, we also want to obey you today by hearing your word, by setting aside the things that would distract us from what you would have to say to us today and responding to how you might touch our heart. Father, we pray as we go into our time to preach your word, Lord, that, that anything that is of me would be set aside, that anything that is of you would be remembered. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. And if we have not met, my name is Pastor Greg. And uh, today we are beginning a two-part series entitled, Good Question. So in evangelism shift, and even in our life-to-life groups, we are learning how to be effective witnesses. Learning how to live with a sense of sentness in every circumstance and encounter. And as we do, we're encouraged to build real friendships with non-church people. So as we develop that, these relationships, we're to help others to take the next step on their journey towards Christ. Now, one of the lessons in our Life to Life groups is about asking good questions. We find that people react to statements. I'm just realizing with all the shuffling that I did not dismiss Children's Church. (laughs) So if we have any remainder... Children that would like to join Children's Church, you may do so. So one of the lessons in our Life to Life group is about asking good questions. And we find that people will react to statements, but will interact with questions. And I know that some people are good at asking questions. Some people have a knack for asking very pointed questions. Others pretty good at being very inquisitive, and then some, like me, are pretty good at just asking general questions. When our leadership went through evangelism shift and we discussed the topic of asking good questions, it convicted me, partly because I'm a product of my parents who are very good at asking general questions, but rarely go beyond that. General questions may be introductory, but they don't really help you build relationships because they're too general. But in social situations, I tend to ask very general questions and rarely go beyond that. So I determined I wanted to learn to do a better job at asking good questions. Then this fall, I taught Gospel 101 class uh, during our equipping hour. And each week we had a question to go out and uh, the class was to do this survey question and ask three people the question and then come back and just tell us what they heard. 
And several in the class really got involved and loved doing that and were eager to come back and share what they heard. Guess who failed? The teacher. I found that, man, I really have to be intentional to get outside of my circles of influence to be able to ask questions of three different people. And of course, in our current climate with plexiglass and face masks everywhere you go, it's a little bit even more challenging to communicate. So I found it very difficult for me. So I humbly bring this topic to you today, not as an experienced practitioner or a journeyman, uh, but more as an apprentice who's beginning to learn the importance of asking good questions. And God's created us as relational beings God's also created the question. He encourages us, even in Scripture, to ask questions. He says, ask and it shall be given unto you. James tells us, you don't have because you don't ask. We think about church doctrine. Church leaders over the centuries have used catechism as a way of teaching by the process of question and answer. So one way to grow in our relationships with people is with asking good questions. It can generate conversation, can help you get to know them. There are all kinds of questions. There can be leading questions, referring questions, teaching questions, encouraging, um, challenging. And there can also be informing and discerning questions, which is what we're going to look at today. So as you study the life of Jesus, you'll find that he used his questions to gain information, to discern where someone's coming from, he used them to diffuse conflict, to engage a person's heart and mind in what he was saying, he used them to make a point, or even to leave a person thinking, or to reveal the real issue. So Jesus was modeling for his disciples and for us a way of interacting with people that opens doors and hearts for our witness to them. And so we need to learn to use questions if we want to move into deeper conversations with others. Studying the life and ministry of Jesus, we find that he used questions extensively. The Gospels record about 175 questions asked by Jesus. Inquiries pervade his ministry. And so if so much of his ministry is taken up by asking questions, we need to learn to do the same. Now that statement invokes a response, right? It gets a reaction. It could be a logical one. It could be an emotional one. It could be one of affirmation. Um, it could be one of doubt. Um, some of us may have feelings of joy and excitement and anticipation, just like our church name, Maranatha, means Lord come quickly, right? That may be an exciting statement for some of us. Others may think, yeah, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Or they may be pretty laissez-faire about it. Others may be more apprehensive and skeptical or in disbelief, maybe even mocking it. 
or in mocking disbelief. Or maybe they're energized to do anything that they can to fight against it. What we find in the book of Luke is a wide range of responses to Jesus that cause many people to question his identity. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to look at the two questions that Jesus asked of his disciples. And the first one is, a, is an informative question that engages them in conversation and gets them thinking. And then he'll ask a discerning question. And he uses these questions in a respectful way and it engages them and it helps the conversation to go deeper. Now, if you're at Fresh Encounter this week, these questions will sound very familiar to you. So chapter 9, verse 18 where we read, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, well, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. So our first point is very simple, that Jesus asked an informative question. Verse 18, who do the crowds say that I am? Now this is a relevant question given the immediate context. If we were to look in verses 10 through 17, we find the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, the fact that there's more than 5,000 people here denotes that it's a very large crowd. Verse 14 tells us that it was about 5,000 men, so we assume that there's also women and children there, so there's certainly more than 5,000 people. The definition of crowd is simply a large number of people gathered, so we certainly have a crowd. The crowds are looking for Jesus, and when they found him, they followed him. Jesus welcomed them, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he heals those who needed healing. They've been together long enough that day that the disciples are concerned that the crowds need to eat. And they're near Bethsaida and the nearby hills. And the disciples ask Jesus, send them to the villages to get food and lodging. And what Jesus says is he challenges them. He says, no, you feed them. Disciples don't have enough food or even money to buy food. They respond, well, all we have are these five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus has them sit down in groups of 50. He blesses the loaves and fishes and he begins to break bread, literally, giving the pieces to the disciples to feed the crowd. I don't know if you've ever been to a large all-day conference where they're going to feed you lunch. You realize it's quite an organizational task to feed thousands of people lunch and get them back in their seats within an hour. <laughs> I don't know how long it took Jesus to break bread for thousands of people, let alone for the disciples to serve all the groups of people, 50 that were seated in a large area. But what we do know is that the pieces keep coming. The baskets are filled until everyone eats and is satisfied, Scripture says, ending with 12 baskets left over. So the crowds are coming to see Jesus 
He's healing the sick. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. And he feeds them, all of them. And it's on the heels of this, when they've gone away to pray, that Jesus then asks the disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? It's a natural question. It's an informative question. But do you think he asked this question because he didn't know? Jesus asked the informative question to get the disciples to think and to engage them in conversation. And informative questions are really easy to ask and answer. Most people love to talk about themselves or what's going on around them, and especially if they feel like the questioner is really interested in them. So asking genuine questions considers another person to be more significant than themselves. It's a way of humbling yourself to give them uh, respect and to give them the floor. And you may find that people are fascinating. We think about evangelism and building redemptive relationships. We need to ask questions in order to get to know people. It also may mean that we need to shut up and listen. We ask questions to learn about them. We ask questions so that, and while we're asking questions, we can also ask the Lord, what is it that you want us to know about this person? But verse 19, the disciples respond, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, or that one of the ancient prophets has come back. People are looking for a Messiah that was foretold by the prophets. Luke's gospel emphasizes the coming Messiah from the beginning with the prediction of John's birth. If you were to look at John 1, verse 17, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. We get to Luke chapter 3, we see John the Baptist is the Messiah's forerunner. He's the herald to announce the Messiah. This quoted for us in Isaiah that John the Baptist is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So Luke tells us people are questioning whether John the Baptist is the Messiah. John says, well, I baptize you with water, but there is one coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so he's pointing to Jesus, and then Jesus arrives on the scene. John baptizes Jesus, and the Spirit of the Lord descends upon him. So just like we observed last Sunday when we had baptism, that baptism identifies you with both the messenger and the message. So not only did the Spirit of the Lord descend upon Jesus, but the Father's voice from heaven declared, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so Jesus is publicly identified as God's Son, the Anointed One. So certainly John's ministry and Jesus' baptism are causing people to question, Who is this Messiah? We get into Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus is in Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, he takes a scroll of Isaiah the prophet, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to the blind, to set free the oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus closes the scroll. He says, today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. They're amazed. But then immediately they look at his humanity and they say, but wait a minute, isn't he Joseph's son? So they just can't quite get to terms that Jesus is a promised Messiah. And then the progression of things, Herod kills John the Baptist by having him beheaded and delivering his head on a platter to his daughter. Matthew says, although he was grieved, he would not refuse his daughter's request. Now people are talking about Jesus, that he's going around healing people. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news. Crowds are beginning to follow Jesus, wondering, is he John the Baptist or a prophet like Elijah who was just taken up into heaven? Prophets regularly shared God's message of warnings and coming salvation. Malachi even prophesies that Elijah's coming back. So they wonder, is Jesus Elijah the prophet or some other prophet? Which brings us back to our chapter 9 and verse 7, where Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the ancient prophets had risen. I beheaded John, Herod said, but who is this that I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. Even King Herod is asking, who is Jesus? Is he a prophet? I mean, it can't be John. I mean, he might have a guilty conscience, but he knows John's dead. Are these things, and as these things are developing, it causes people to question, who is Jesus? doesn't seem that many people are concluding that he is the Messiah. Some believe. Some are wanting to know more. Nevertheless, verse 18, Jesus asked the disciples this question because it's relevant. The people all over are asking, who is Jesus? We see how Jesus engages the disciples in their discussion and asks the informative question, and it's only natural that the culture is responding about prophets. They're responding to Jesus and his miracles and the things he's doing, and they're trying to figure out, who is this? He's not really fitting their picture of a warrior king that they're expecting. But the use of questions which shows respect and helps us to engage in discussion. The use of questions, like I said, needs to be genuine. Because I find that there are some, even evangelism techniques, that are taught by using questions because the use of questions is very helpful. Although well-intended, some have used the questioning technique in a manipulative way to crack open the door and then just unload their dump truck of theology on you. That is not what we are talking about. We use questions to engage others to show them respect, to get to know them, to build relationships. And so Jesus' use of an informative question here is relevant and it engages the disciples. Which brings us to the second point, our discerning question. Jesus asks a discerning question in verse 20, but you, who do you say that I am? 
If you think about it, this is also a relevant question for the disciples because their understanding and belief in Jesus is growing. We find, though, that even though that they're with Jesus during many of his miracles, that they still struggle to completely comprehend that Jesus is Lord of everything. So the discerning question is really a check for understanding. If you go back to chapter 8, verse 22, the disciples are crossing the sea. They're in a boat, a raging storm comes, Jesus is asleep, the disciples are afraid. They wake Jesus up saying, Master, we're going to die. Jesus says, peace, be still. Disciples are amazed. Who is this? He commands and even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus just demonstrated to them that he is Lord over nature. The next scene in chapter 8, Jesus casts out evil spirits from the demon-possessed man and casts them into a herd of pigs and they plunge into the sea. Jesus demonstrates he is Lord over super nature. Keep going. In the next scene, Luke restores a woman's health who had been suffering for 12 years, demonstrating he is Lord over health. He raises a young girl back to life, demonstrating he is Lord over life and death. This brings us back to the feeding of 5,000, chapter 9. The disciples have been with him all day. He heals people. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. And we find that Jesus is still teaching the disciples who he is. Because as they need food, the disciples are inadequate to meet the need. But Jesus demonstrates that he is sufficient. He is Lord over creation. And he is the provider. So Luke's gospel is very pronounced in emphasizing and telling us who Jesus is, showing us how Jesus continues to reveal himself. And hindsight being 2020, the disciples need to become resolute in their understanding because Jesus is headed for the cross. So we see in verse 20 how he masterfully draws out the hearts of the disciples with their question. And Peter he appears to be the spokesperson for the disciples. And in true fashion, he's not going to wait to answer. He has the answer. He says, God's Messiah, the Christ of God, which means the anointed one, anointed by God, the Messiah. It's a clear declaration of who Jesus is. And it seems that he responds with clarity and conviction. Jesus uses this question to discern whether where their heart is. But then immediately, verse 21, he strictly warns them to tell no one. Why? What? Isn't he the Messiah? Then he says in verse 22, But it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. So here in the Gospel of Luke is our first prediction from Jesus that he is going to be the suffering Savior. Now, to dive in to all the questions that these two verses may raise is a whole other sermon. So we're just going to let that lay for right now. 
When we think about questions and we interact with people and we, um, we use them to draw closer to them, to we can appropriately ask questions like, what do you think? What's your opinion? We want to go a little bit deeper. We can say, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe is the main message of the Bible? But for both informative and discerning questions, it's usually best to ask them in an open-ended manner uh, in order to generate the discussion. So you would use words like why, how, what. But Jesus masterfully uses this discerning question to get the heart at of what the disciples believe. So we have Jesus' informative question, we have his discerning question, and then our third point is we have the ultimate question. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the question everyone must come to terms with. Everyone must answer it personally. This question has an urgency to it. This question requires you to come to terms with answering, who do you say Jesus is? Seems like a very simple question, and yet it is very profound. One that is not left to your simple opinion, as it's a question that has eternal consequences. And there is only one right answer. In Isaiah 40, right after the prophecy of John the Baptist, where it talks about a voice calling in the wilderness, we have the prophetic words of the coming Savior. In verses 10 and 11, say, Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes, but he'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll carry the, the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He'll gently lead the mother sheep with their young. It's found that in very provocative verses about the power and the strength of our Lord, and yet he's a shepherd and a gentle savior. But then this prophecy asks very pointed questions about our sovereign Lord. And in verses 12 through 15, it says, So who else has held the oceans in his hands? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on the scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what's right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. 
To whom can you compare God? Who is equal to God? Look up in the heavens. Who created the stars? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth, never grows weak or weary. We get back here into Luke. We see how the crowds in Jesus' day are grappling with that question. But many were missing it. And it's a huge miss. It's not just an oops. Missing this question, who do you say Jesus is, determines your eternity. Spend eternity in heaven with Jesus or in hell with the devil. Answering this correctly in your heart determines whether you can live with forgiveness and hope and assurance or whether you spend your days in guilt and shame and fear. Considering how others miss it today in the very same way. Islam teaches Jesus is just a prophet. Many other religions claim he's just a good moral man. Others believe he's a god, but just one of many. In all these different answers, we find that they're refusing to come to terms with Jesus as the Christ the Messiah, and that is a huge miss. Belief in Jesus as the Messiah results in forgiveness of sin, hope, and restoration, whereas disbelief in Jesus results in no hope, despair, and eternal punishment for your sins. God desires each one of us to truly know him personally. How do you answer that question? Jesus is the answer everyone is looking for, whether they realize it or not. Some of us, like Peter, can proclaim, Jesus, you are the Christ, the promised Savior, the Son of God. And as followers of Jesus, it's our mission to build redemptive relationships and help others move closer to answering the ultimate question. Who do you say Jesus is? And it's a crucial question, and it has an objective answer. You cannot rewrite the answer to one of your own choosing. The question divides people, divides religions. It's also a question that has deepening levels of understanding as you grow in the Lord and you know Him more intimately. question requires a personal response of faith and obedience. Understanding that Jesus is the Christ means that those who identify with him, just like we saw last week in baptism, those who follow him must walk in the way of the cross, which means trusting and obeying. So what is your answer? Is he God? Is he the creator, sustainer, savior, or is he just a prophet? moral teacher, a good guy, or a lunatic or a liar. So very simply today, our big idea is, who do you say Jesus is? The true and right answer is God's Messiah. If you find this question disturbing to you, look around at those who have joy and hope 
Ask them, why do they have so much hope? What fills them with peace? But take time today to answer that question. And as believers, we work on building our redemptive relationships. We need to be intentional about asking good questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your example in your life and ministry. And one of the things that we see in your scripture is how people have consistently grappled with who you are. And yet, Lord, you have so clearly revealed yourself. Yet, Lord, there are many out there where the God of this world has blinded their eyes. We ask, Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would reveal to them the truth about who you are. Father, we pray that you would encourage us to truly learn how to care for others. That being on mission is to spend time and to listen and to ask questions, develop redemptive relationships with others. Father, encourage us to do that. Father, if there's anything that I have said that's of myself, I pray, Lord, that that would be dismissed. Father, I pray that you would have your way in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.